Wow. This is a great place. Oh, thank you. Just make yourself comfortable. Gotcha. <laughs> so this place is really my grandmother's. I got it from her when she moved to Florida. Otherwise, I could never afford a place like this. So if the landlord ever asks, I'm an 87-year-old woman who's afraid of her VCR. You thirsty? Oh, you bet I am. <laughs> Okay, here's your penis. Hey everyone ever, and welcome to a bonus episode of 20th Century Pop. My name is Tim Blevins, and if you're like me, you're binging a lot of TV right now. And um, if you are me, you just finished watching all four seasons of Caroline in the City on Amazon Prime, which is actually missing a few episodes, uh, including the one with a cameo from uh, Matthew Perry as Chandler Bing. So I'm um, using that as a segue. We're reposting our first binge podcast episode ever uh, from back in February 24th, 2017. It's Friends Season 3, which is no longer bingeable on Netflix. So, you know, use your imagination or watch Living Single on Hulu. Either way, here's Episode 6 of 20th Century Pop. Let's let's uh, jump right into this episode then. Sure, the, the one where no one's ready is the title of it, and the Friends episodes right after. I think even maybe not with the pilot, but after the pilot, all episode titles um, are structured the same way, where it's the one where this happened, the one where that happened, which is kind of just a a, a poke at watching sitcoms. It's an awareness of, hey, do you remember that one where this happened? And that's where like the titling of the show, I believe, comes from. Yes. Um, so very quickly, what's, what's the plot, this bottle episode, this container episode, the one where no one's ready, what, uh, to set it up, what, what's the simplest form of the plot? Uh, Ross is giving a speech at a function and all the friends are, are going and Ross shows up at Monica and Rachel's apartment and no one is ready to go. And so he's just trying to get everybody out the door. So it's a pretty simple, straightforward sitcom plot. Like that's something we've seen before. People have to get somewhere and there's obstacles. So that's, and that's still, that's comedy. That's, that's the basis of comedy then. It's the basis of comedy now. Um, this is one of my favorite episodes. Like it was, it was a nice, I haven't watched Friends in a couple of years probably. So this was kind of a nice way to segue back in because even if you've never watched the show, this episode kind of highlights the strength of the cast I mean, I think the fact that you're in one room for the entire episode, it takes place in real time. So you don't have to concern yourself with, well, where are we now? Where are we going? You're just watching these six characters interact in a stressful situation. And you kind of get their relationships pretty quickly because Ross and Chandler have a problem with who gets to sit in a chair. Monica has a problem with a relationship. The only character that doesn't really have much of anything to do in this episode, and this is kind of the fault of the series throughout is the character of Phoebe. But instead of just rattling off uh, names here, as we get into it, do you have a favorite friend of the six of them? Is there a friend that was kind of your favorite? Well, that's, that's Chandler Bing. I mean, that's an easy... That is your favorite. Oh, absolutely. Isn't that everybody's favorite? I'm guessing it's he's not he's not your favorite. Who Who's your favorite if it's not Chandler Bing? Chandler was... I, I was a toss-up between these two. I think when the show was on, Chandler was definitely the character I wanted to be. 
Um, I think of the characters on the show, he's a character I ripped stuff off of. I liked his manic you know, energy. I liked his inability to hold a relationship, his anxieties, and his vocal inflections are all things that I think both of us ripped off. Yeah. Now, my favorite character, and this was also when the show was on, but definitely in the years since, has always oh, been yeah. Monica. Monica, I just I love her neuroses. Um, I mean, she is... Initially, when the show started, she seemed, it seemed like the show would revol- revolved around her. It was her apartment. Every, you know, she was bringing people to her. But well, she was she was like the one known actress too. You know, she she was on Family Ties uh, before this on NBC. Um, she was also in Misfits of Science, which was one of my favorite shows shows as a child. Um, but <laughs> um, yeah, and the trouble with Larry for two episodes. There you go. So I feel like she was sort of seen as, uh, from the, an outsider perspective, as maybe the the star of the show, which obviously turned out to be uh, a very ensemble um, sitcom. But the character herself, the neur- she's a very neurotic character. I think this episode shows her obsessiveness. She has an obsessiveness with getting things done in this episode, it all revolves around, she left an answering, she left a message on her ex-boyfriend's answering machine. And she's nervous that that message sounds too desperate or doesn't sound breezy enough. And that there's a whole, just it's, it's, it's dealing with a breakup through this obsessive behavior over a prop, which in this case is a phone over an action, which is leaving the message. And I just, I can really relate to that. And it's just, it was always very endearing her vocal inflections, the way she talked, the way she moved. Yeah. I don't know. There, there was something about her that I feel reflected a lot of myself and that I, I could absorb back into myself. Um, she wasn't a character I ever thought I was ripping off. Like, I think I just related to her storylines. Characters like Chandler Bing, the, um, who your favorite, and I think a lot of people's favorites, and Ross, who I guess is supposed to be the show's central love interest. Um, those characters, I know I was ripping off. I feel like their behaviors are behaviors I adopted, whereas Monica's behaviors was, was kind of, I, it represented, or I shared them. You know, I could find a common ground there. Um do you think, did you like Ross as a character, Ross Geller? Yeah, I didn't mind Ross. I liked Ross. In fact, I think early on I probably related to Ross more. Oh, really? Um, yeah. I'm not saying, like, like Chandler clearly, like you're saying, was, was the breakout for me. But as, like, with relationships and being, like, the, the sad sack in a way and, and, you know, not having the courage to talk to Rachel early on, that was, that was something that I could completely relate to. So I related to Ross early. So that storyline, Ross and Rachel, Rachel is the one character I don't think we've even mentioned by name. Um, I'm assuming everybody knows the show Friends, but if you don't, a, a central through line through all 10 seasons was the character of Ross and the character of Rachel being like an on-again, off-again relationship. They were supposed to be together. Uh, they weren't, then they were, then they weren't back and forth and whatever. And as a kid, that was, I think, like you're saying, that was relatable. I liked that romanticized version of I'm meant to be with this person. I'm going to struggle to be with this person. It's going to work out. It's not going to work out. But someday we'll be together and it'll be romantic. I have to say, watching it now as an adult, I guess, maybe as someone in a mature relationship, (laughs) maybe just with the time that's passed, that's they're the two dullest characters on the show to me. I have no interest in Ross and no interest in Rachel. Well, especially in this segment of shows that we we watched recently, I would I would agree with that for sure. Because things are going well for them. Yes, they are together. They've been together for a while. Um, so yeah, that that stands out. 
quick question um, in regards to you were talking about um, Monica's ex-boyfriend. I don't think Friends did this when it first aired. They didn't do a previously on segment. I mean, we're talking about binging. No, and they the, don't really do that. Uh, when, when you're that's when you're true. watching, they expect you to be jumping from episode to episode. Um, because something that I came away with as I'm jumping into these episodes, I, I found at least initially, and we will talk about this, is that they, I think, fit into a binge watch culture. In this episode, how there's a message on the phone from the ex-boyfriend, Richard. Everybody reacts to it, and all you hear is, hey, it's Richard, call me, on the answering machine. <laughs> and everybody reacts to it, and you as the viewer react to it, too, being like, oh, my God, they've broken up. And you have no sense of that from just watching this episode. Um, so I kind of – I found as I'm watching through this, it actually is a really good show to, to kind of binge watch because they do kind of continue the story along really well, I thought. Um, and that surprised me. I do have a hard time thinking of a show before this that was that serialized. I can't imagine they were first. I'm I'm no expert when it comes to all the, the possibilities of, of, of television series out there, but I can't imagine they were the first. <laughs> I mean, um, X-Files was on before this, uh, and that was a bit serialized. I think, and I think dramas were no, noted for being a little more serialized, maybe because of ongoing storylines. I feel like the idea oh, yeah. of a sitcom, a yeah. half-hour sitcom, is sort of a half-hour escapist entertainment. I mean, Cheers had the the you know the, the show Cheers had the Sam and Diane on again, off again that you kind of had to know they were struggling with a relationship. But reoccurring characters, reoccurring plot lines were slim. And when they did, there was usually a line, like you were saying, was absent from this, like, "Well, you remember this person or how right. this worked." Seinfeld, I guess, started giving you repeated gags and repeated jokes. And Seinfeld is its own thing in that it's a joke machine. It's a funny show. The characters aren't that deep of characters. You don't, I never found myself really relating to any of the Seinfeld characters. I just found them funny. But I I think you're right. There is something with Friends where these storylines, it was kind of assumed that the audience was, at least by this season, it'd be, I would have to go back and watch the first two to see if it's structured the same, but by the third season, the assumption I think was, well, we've got them every week. I mean, this was the number one show on TV by this season. So I think they knew that the core audience was there week to week, but I appreciate the fact that they didn't, they didn't have one character lean lean over to the other to explain who Richard was. So you're right. It, it, It was structured for binge watching and that's not even the main plot of the episode. Exactly. It's a background thing that shows Monica's life is going on. Yeah. So I, I, I do like that. And I do, I love her fumbling with the answering machine. I love her, how worked up she gets. Um, something that if this show was to be done now in the 21st century, can you do answering machine plots anymore? I feel like the answering machine was such a key part of sitcoms. You know, we have to get the tape out of there. Oh, I left them a message or I won't know till I get home to hear that message. Is that as a plot device lost with cell phones? Oh yeah, I think so completely. I think cell phones kind of screw up a lot of things when it comes to to uh, television and, and movies, drama. And I even find I've, I've read about this or I've heard people talk about how <clears throat> oftentimes the the cell phones won't have a signal or they'll have just died to allow for you know the, the storylines that we're kind of used to and expect because you can you can figure out so much you can 
solve so many issues with your phone now with everything you can look up and everything you can contact. You can get a, you know, if if you're stuck without uh, gas in your car, you can get a, you can get an Uber. Um, you know, so there's all these things you can do with your phone now. Um, so I think the answering machine aspect is sort of is is lost, and uh, I hate that because I think I've got six or seven great answering machine ideas that I've <laughs> been holding on to for years that I'll never be well, able you, to use. You, you know, just do your retro show set in the late '90s, but. People, for the majority of people writing shows now, they that as an experience, this idea of the answering machine isn't something they even have had. So you're not going to see a New Girl episode that has to, I don't think, I'm saying this without having seen a lot of New Girl episodes, but as an example of a show that I think maybe reflects the structure of a Friends TV show, those characters are never going to be in a scenario where an, where an answering machine would come up. So you would have different kind of... Yeah, there'd Exploits. be something else. There'd be something else. Maybe there'd be an accidental tweet that was sent out and it was deleted, but then somebody took a screenshot and, you know, the, the, I'm sure that they would have a it similar... Like so much explanation, but it's how the world works, I guess. Exactly, exactly. So, I mean, I'm sure there's ways to, to find a similar, uh, something in a similar vein. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's just, it was interesting and odd to see it uh, in this episode. Yeah, so I don't, I, and I do understand what you're saying with the tweets and stuff. I just don't know if this plot line would work in a bottle episode anymore. I think you'd have to find another way to have their struggle. Um, but to, to, to talk about more of the episode, something that I think has stood the test of time as a phrase, and I'm wondering if this episode would be the first time we hear it. Uh, Joey uses the phrase going commando this episode, <laughs> which is a reference to wearing pants without underwear. And it's a phrase I've heard an awful lot in my life. I've heard people use. I feel like it's from this episode. Do you think that that's where it's from, or was that already a saying prior to the show existing? <clears throat> it wasn't a saying I was aware of. Um, that was my first experience with that terminology to describe uh, one's nether area. Uh, I'm, but I'm no expert, so I couldn't tell you for sure. But it seems, yeah, it, I, I feel like if it, if it was before this uh, existed, it became popular after this episode. Um, yeah, this far more often. The show was pretty influential, I think. Phrases yeah. were used, and I think for you and I, verbal tics and how we talk, at least for me, a lot of it was lifted from this show. Yeah, you keep saying that, Tim. I'm pretty sure I was, I was like this and like that before Chandler Bing uh, came on the screen. And maybe, maybe he took it from me. Maybe that somehow they were watching. <laughs> maybe he took it from you through that screen. So, and I was going to ask this with one of the later episodes, but I'll ask it now. Do you... <laughs> Like, I wonder now, as an older person, you know, when I rewatch Friends and I, you know, I remember thinking this show is my life. It's such a good reflection. But was the show a reflection of my life or was I mimicking the show in an effort to make my life more exciting? Because one thing that Friends does well, and I think the Monica um, plotline in this episode does it well, but I think Ross and Rachel's tension, ongoing tension does well, is that this show makes um, like romantic discord seem fun. 
I mean, this show makes it seem like relationships are nothing but struggles and you're going to be bumbling your way through them. And that the only way to have a good relationship is to sometimes have these fights. And the only way to have, you know, um, an ongoing relationship is to constantly embarrass yourself in public. And I I feel like it's good sitcom. It's good entertainment. And it ruined for a good portion of my life, my idea of what relationships should be, because I wanted to mimic these hilarious scenes of a half hour show. I think you and I were doing that. I think we were um, um, over over-exaggerating perhaps uh, aspects uh, in our lives to to mimic that and to repeat that. And I think you're talking about through this chain of, of episodes we watch, probably the the Chandler and Janice storylines yes. that, that run through these episodes. Yeah. Um, yeah, it turned out like I, I really thought we'd, we'd have um, trouble seeing these in a row as, as a binge watch. But I found, and I know I've said this earlier, but I found this to be a great string of episodes to watch. I know I mentioned how um, I, I picked this season because it, it was the one I remembered the least. But it turns out that these are fantastic episodes. These five episodes are just great. Um, and yeah, we were definitely... Um, and, and maybe it's friends and maybe it's some other things that we, we uh, saw through the years. Um, but I think we were definitely trying to pull off a bit of a sitcom life. Um, not that it wasn't necessarily false, but it's like if we're already in, in a conversation that is uncomfortable, <clears throat> I might as well crack a few jokes about it and make it a little bit more uncomfortable. You know what I mean? <laughs> like it's, it's, I do. It's, 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 it's already happening... Yeah. I mean, we lived together after after college and I think we like I remember we bought uh, a Nintendo and we got we could have gotten any games we wanted to get and we got a a hockey game. I think because of chasing Amy. Because No, 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 because of Swingers. What? Because in Swingers they played hockey. Okay, then you got the hockey game because of Swingers. Also, I think if I'm right in this, you also paid for the Nintendo. I had nothing to do with that, so thank you. This is this is true. This is very true. But This podcast is paying you back. It is. Thank you for this. Uh, <laughs> but but no, I think we did that, and I think a lot of people do it, but I, I know that you and I did it with our pop culture references. It, it fed into who we were, and I'm not saying it changed who we were. I'm not saying that we... Um, uh, caused situations um, to fit these things, but I think we found ourselves in situations and we used those experiences from the shows to sort of guide us and allow us to make our decisions. And, and, and I'm not saying we made the wrong decisions based on something we saw, but we just made the ones that that felt more comfortable to us because these were just the, the things in our lives that were guiding us in a way. I'm going to disagree with you a little bit Um, while I will say, yes, I think having TV shows, having characters that you admire, emulate, or can relate to are great. I mean, I learned how to interact in high school during my, one of my awkward nerd phases by watching Richard Lewis, by seeing Richard Lewis on a sitcom, by seeing him do a stand-up comedy and, and, and identifying with this one with his clothing. I loved all his all black buttoned up shirt. I loved his hand gestures. I loved his posture, his way of speaking and his subject matter, which was just, 
I'm awful at this. This is horrible. I'm depressed. All these things. I was like, well, I feel some of these feelings. I'm depressed. I don't know what to do with it. So if I twist it into a joke or a monologue and I start talking with my hands and and I, I, I assume this persona... I can filter myself through that and suddenly I'm interacting with people. Yeah, I, that's how people grow. That's what you do when you dress like your favorite bandmate or that's what you do when, you know, comic books are your life, whatever it is. So I get that. And Friends was very empowering to that because it's a well-written show. It's a funny show. And yeah, you and I have a, a, a strong enough friendship to bounce back and forth that way. So it was fun. I just feel like not to blame the entertainment, but to say that there is something in shows like this, similar to the John Hughes movies in the 80s as well, that not knowing as a 19, 20-year-old how to pursue a relationship, not knowing what I wanted from a relationship, just knowing that, God, I want to be in one because I, 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 you know, that's what people do. I think watching say, Ross struggle for a season without telling Rachel he loved her and then getting her in the next season, you know, not to sound possessive, but yes, getting her, you know, or, or more more reassuringly watching Monica and Chandler fail at their many relationships and struggle and embarrassing themselves. I think I sought to mimic those for the same reason I think I, I, I was attracted to Richard Lewis, because that was the filter through which I could stumble and still, yeah, save a little face. But it's also treating people like props or treating people like cast members is the more kinder way to say it. But yeah, like props. And so it's, I don't know, Friends is one of those shows that I think I, yourself, and many friends of mine identified with while simultaneously mimicked. So it's a very hard line to to distinguish, at least for me. I think it's, I think it's a little bit of both. And I don't know... I'm glad I grew a little past that because I feel like the next episode shows that a little bit more because I think there are aspects of a sitcom from this era and living a sitcom from that era that turn out to be very detrimental traits in, in the longer run. But yes, romantic discord is fun. <laughs> um, before we move on to the next episode, one thing that I was impressed by this because I laughed out loud at it now and I'm like, that's probably went over my head then. Friends was surprisingly good at getting risque jokes out there. Like there, yeah, I, and I never couple. think of it as a risque show, but this episode has a bestiality joke involving an inflatable sheep without actually saying it, but implying it. Not as right. a joke, but Monica mentions her period, which I had never heard mentioned on a show before. Um, I know there's a hilarious, not on any of these episodes, there's a masturbation joke that even the studio audience doesn't laugh on an episode where Chandler, Joey gives Chandler this very heavy bracelet and, um, someone asks him, Hey, do you think that's going to, or what do you think of it? And, and, Oh, do you think that's going to impact your sex life? And I think Chandler's response was, well, it'll slow me down a little bit at first, but I'll get used to it. That's a <laughs> jerking off joke that the studio yes. well, audience didn't laugh at. They've had a, another one at Chandler's expense. I remember that they talked about uh, some sock that he had um, under his bed or next to his bed um, <laughs> that was re referred to. So Chandler gets that a lot. Um, yeah, yeah. And there was a headboard one that uh, Rachel kind of um, talked about when oh. in one of the episodes we watched. For, where, in front of a kid. They're banging their head on the couch. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. They, they were purposely doing that to make it seem like it was normal because the kid got his, his head bumped. And uh, she says it's not worth it unless it's a headboard. And I thought that was, you know, that, that took me by surprise. Just the, the way they're kind of just sprinkled in there. 
Yeah, and I think I mean those jokes would are just as funny now, and I think we there are more of those jokes on TV. I feel like there are a lot of funny and unfunny sexual innuendo and whatever on shows, but that I also don't think there were many shows like that back then. I I think Seinfeld definitely is the first show I really remember thinking like, wow, I've never heard that on TV. There's a uh, the famous masturbation episode, yeah. and and there there is actually a, an episode about menstruation as well, and at least the masturbation episode I know aired two years before Friends or a year before Friends was on, so it was doing it. But Friends because they were characters my age, and because I was watching it in college, not in the you know in the secrecy of my parents' basement. These kind of jokes, when I heard them, I don't know, it just, it's, it felt so smart and yet so like, oh, that's, no one's going to get that but me. Like there was just this idea that I just got a filthy joke because Friends isn't looked at as a filthy show. It's looked at a very white, white bread show, you know? I think it's looked at yeah. as a clever show, but a safe show that everyone can watch. And of course they can watch it because if you don't want someone to get the joke or they're not going to get the joke, it goes right over their head. But yeah, I was just, I was surprised. I always forget that bestiality joke. And I'm just like, wow, I don't, I feel like that was snuck by somehow. Because the implication there, there's a inflatable sheep that Rachel mentions from, I guess, a little Bo Peep costume. And unrelated to their conversation, she turns to Chandler and says, I'm going to need that back, by the way. Which is hilarious, I think. Yeah, and I took it as more of a masturbation joke than a bestiality joke. Yeah. Just that he uses that in his, his uh, uh, free time. It's funny. <laughs> but uh, It sure is, Tim. <laughs> it's hilarious. It's, that's hilarious. Yeah. So let's move on to the next episode. We were binge watching, and the next episode is the one with the jam. This one has the through line of Chandler's relationship with Janice. There's a character in Friends, an often reoccurring character named uh, Janice, who is this very nasally sounding, kind of cliched uh, Jewish American princess New Yorker. Am I right? Is that a, a description? Of I it? think that's good. Yeah. Nasally. Yeah. And, nasally and works. Nasally. She's introduced in the first season and she's kind she's of like. Just a, she's just annoying. Yeah. And she's Chandler's constant ex, it seems. And starting in this season, the two of them were dating a little bit, and it was Chandler's first real serious um, relationship. And I like that. Yes. I like the two of them together, because of all the characters on awesome. the show, I feel like Chandler is a character who shouldn't ever fully succeed. Like, what makes him entertaining is his bumbling neuroticness, which makes him entertaining is his, he doesn't actually know how the world works with others. He has this protective bubble of always making jokes. So he doesn't know how to date. He doesn't know how to have long-term friendships. And I find that really, it's engaging. It's endearing. I like him as a character until he and Monica get together later in the season or later in the series. But I like him in that sense. And Janice is a good example of that because He's struggling to uh, to hold on to her. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's uh, this one and the next episode. Um, I think were great, and I liked that. I got to watch them one after the other. Like I enjoyed that aspect of it. Like I really like it because there's a real sense yeah. of him. In yeah. That. yeah. So it was good to to binge watch these and to get through um, to not have to wait to see the the next episode and how it progressed and what, what, how, you know, how it's going to end. Cause you know, it's going to end. Um, and so, yeah, it was fun. Well, that's the thing. I don't think I did know it. And looking at it now, I've throughout the series, 
and I know that he Chandler and Monica get together and end up being a couple. I would have loved it if the show had ended with him and Janice getting together. Like almost if his last scene was him going off to live with Janice and like the last thing you see Chandler do is the moment of, wait, what? Like a moment of just, no, I don't want this. Just to show there's a little bit of it still there. Sure. Just because like they, they do seem endearing as a couple. She's not just a punchline in these episodes because she actually helps yeah. him grow. And again, I think he's a character that when he's struggling or fumbling, I like, which is probably why as he, as the series progressed, I don't think they knew what to do with Chandler. Because if he's not struggling with a relationship, it's actually kind of obnoxious. Yeah, I agree with your your statement from a moment ago where he becomes less engaging and, and, and less of a, a fan favorite after he and Monica are together. And I would say after they're like together together, I really liked the season where they were just together. It was a secret. They were just trying to figure it out. It was the beginning of a relationship that actually worked for both of them. So there was still a lot that that I enjoyed there, um, the neuroses of the two of them kind of butting heads. Um, but then when they were settled in, yeah, he became, you know, less of... And, and at that point, I think I liked Joey most of all um, because there was more that, that Joey could get involved with at that point. Yeah, there's a real... It's And it's weird because... With Ross and Rachel, too, we want, I feel like in watching the show, I want these characters to get together. But once they do, like Ross and Rachel were got together for season three. And then I think it's during season three, they break up again, right? Or is that season four? I forget when. Uh, it's the end of this season. Toward, towards Actually, it's towards the middle of this season, if I'm remembering correctly, season three, uh, where Rachel changes jobs and he gets jealous of the male co-worker. And okay. they, they decide to take a break and... That's the whole, you know, big, we were on a break episode and the, the, another great episode from the season where they're arguing and everybody else is stuck in the, the bedroom and they don't know they're in there. Another yes, bottle episode. Another fantastic yeah. one. Um, and then it... And that, that works great because that's the tension, I think. It's when these people are together. Yeah. yeah something about that. And I can't, and I think sitcoms still struggle with that. Yeah. I mean, I mean there's, some, there's still some good ones that can, can really work it out. I, I think... I think what's great about and I was I was really focused on a couple uh, lines and I wish I'd written them down because I'm a terrible podcast co-host and I never write anything down. That's here in my notes. But there are just some there are just lines from these episodes and just friends as a whole, especially season three and on, where the the line of dialogue isn't funny. You know, the words that are being said aren't necessarily funny. But it's that this particular character is saying it in this particular situation <laughs> that makes it funny. And there were a couple. Yes. I think that might be our only, our only chance to talk about Lisa Kudrow because that's a perfect example <laughs> okay. of her. Lisa Kudrow, Lisa Kudrow is so much better than her character on this show. Yes. They don't give her much to do. Like, I don't even know why she's their friend. I get why the rest of the friends want to be her friend, but I don't get her being there. But Lisa Kudrow does so, does amazing work with the lines they give her, I think. of They all do, but she's the one that I think of with that. Can you think of any shows that do the characters get together and stay together and the show remains interesting? Um, ask me that again okay. at the end of the podcast. I'll see if I can think of any. I mean, the only, like right now, Parks and Recreation, I feel like worked 
when those when Adam Scott and, and Amy Poehler's characters got together, that worked. But that might be because that courtship wasn't that long, maybe, and it wasn't the focus of the show. But yeah, I think it's it's a risky, difficult thing because it is nice when it again the beginning of it is nice to work. But I, I think because these shows don't start out as family comedies or couples comedies, they start out as well. A lot of them are workplace or this show, which is just a show about people hanging out. Yeah, you don't want like it's that weird illusion of wait, everyone who hangs out is now dating. And in my head, it would just be like, well, then I got to do that too, right? Right. I mean, that was kind of the weird thing with How I Met Your Mother, which is a show I enjoyed. I didn't follow it for every season, but it's kind of like no one should be getting together in that group except a couple that's already married. Just let them play out their lives because that's how circles of friends work. And this was yeah. kind of the first show. Friends was the first show where I thought I saw, and this goes back to what I was saying before, am I mimicking it? But I saw a representation of a group you know, we saw people watching TV on TV, you know, outside of Mystery Science Theater. I never saw that on TV. And so that reflection was great. So when these friends would couple off, yeah, I, I that is always very distracting, I think. Yeah. And then uh, getting back to the, the, the Phoebe a- aspect of it, we were talking about her. Um, so, yeah, it's like we had our first episode, which was Ross and Rachel. The next two were more uh, Chandler and Janice. And then they do give... Phoebe a bigger role in episode five here, our fourth in the in the binge watch, where mm-hmm. we get to learn more about her and her situation when her um, long lost I think half brother um, comes to visit her, Frank Jr. Um, and even That's then, right. it's, yes. it's it's very difficult for her to actually get much out of that. It's mostly the jokes and the bits come from the Frank Jr. character. Um, so it's, yeah, it's a struggle to get, to get, uh, Phoebe, um, anything to do. Yeah. I think when we get to the last episode of the ones we watched, I think she has a lot to do that I enjoyed, but I know we're not quite there yet. Um, these episodes that were like the one with the jam, which is an episode that came, um, right after the bottle episode and the one, uh, the ones that are, that we're talking about that, that have Chandler and, and Janice, those feel particularly sitcom-y to me. You know, like the one, the first episode we saw where no one's ready, that felt kind of new. It was very smart. I liked it. The last one that we watched, which we haven't talked about yet, I love. It's one of my favorite episodes. These episodes in the middle feel a little overly sitcom-y than what I remember Friends as being. And I think part of that is there's a lot of these conversations uh, where it's like, we're going to tell you how men and women are kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Like I think in uh, one of the, you know, like, there, you know, here's how it works. Guys and girls act like this. I think there's one yeah. where Ross is going to show Chandler how you roll a woman off of you in bed kind of thing, you know, after pretending to be so into them, just stuff like that, which I loved back then when it was on, I liked it because it was a fun way of talking and I felt like these are answers, but it's just annoying now. I feel like it's outdated to think that. This is, all guys are this and all women are that. Yeah, and the, the other um, scene uh, is in the next episode, which is the one with the metaphorical tunnel. Uh, that's when, again, it's Chandler being told how to be in his relationship by, in that case, uh, Rachel and Monica uh, talking about how he needs to act aloof and, and uh, don't, eat the, don't eat the expensive ice cream every time you get 
heartbroken because uh, it's just going to cost too much and you'd be too fat. And then he gets, you know, so it's that, yeah, it's very sitcom uh, in that respect. I, I can see that. Um, the I still liked it, though. I still liked it rewatching it. And maybe it's just because of the memory of it and, and going back. I still thought it was kind of funny um, just to see Ch- Chandler being the one trying to get this information because of the character and who he is. Yeah, I mean, this is when I relate to Chandler the most. I mean, I think when these episodes were on, like, he's he's clueless. He's clueless yeah. with just how to have a relationship with someone who's expressed interest in him. And I, I do find that funny, and I can relate to it. And I think he's really good in these episodes. So, and that's the thing. You have a very talented cast. I think this show probably, in my memory, is not as traditional sitcom as it actually was in parts like you just get cliches and you get cliched characters sometimes as well um so i think that's the next episode too um if i'm remembering because i didn't write it down i'm a genius um but episode five (laughs) the frank jr the frank jr episode i mean frank jr is a cliched character in a sitcom and i think that's also the episode where ross and rachel um, go out a couple times with Rachel's dad, who I feel is kind of a cliched character in a way, just uh, the way he's written and the way they react to him. Yeah, I don't think he's on these episodes, is he? No. Uh, he's... Oh! Tim, you might be right. Because guess what I did, Tim? I enjoyed binge-watching these episodes <laughs> so much. going. I did. The next night, uh, my wife and I watched, <laughs> I think, three or four, three or four more. So I'm I'm probably mixing those now. (laughs) Yeah, it was. It was nice. It was nice because she used to watch it with us, you know, after college when we lived um, in in Brighton. Um, So she joined us in our Thursday night viewings. And so the two of us were watching those again. I mean, yeah, it's I find the show very easy to binge. Um, Yeah, I watched five that that night and, and four the next night. One of the things that makes these, I think, you know, so fun to watch is that every now and then the characters pair off in a sentimental moment. And there's like a scene where um, Monica, there's a whole plot line that we haven't even discussed where Monica's thinking of uh, of being artificially inseminated to, to have a baby because she thinks that's going to fix her life. Like, I really re- like Monica's storyline of trying to find herself. And, you know, this relationship didn't work out. It was with an older man. Now maybe what she needs is the baby. So she's trying to have a baby. And she has a very sweet scene with Joey where Joey, it's not that he talks her out of doing it, but he kind of talks with her in a way that makes her realize what she wants isn't to be pregnant. She wants a family and a family for her and her mind involves another person, all this stuff. And it's a very sweet, like one minute scene and stuff like that redeems the sitcominess. And I like seeing that again and again, because all six of them through the course of the series have a chance to have a one-on-one with someone else. Yeah. What makes maybe what is making this easy to to binge watch? Part of it, I think, is the nostalgia of just going back to it. They're half hour episodes, but these are genuine characters and endearing characters. And with the exception of maybe Ross, I like these characters. Yeah, we're not talking about Ross or Rachel much, even though they were the main characters. They're, they're they're at this point in my life a little more disposable. But yeah, this this was a well structured show. Um, the last one of the binge watch, it's one of my favorite episodes of all time. I was very happy that this was included, uh, just by random count, uh, the ones we were watching. It's an episode called the one with the flashback. And it's a story that 
takes place three years prior to the present day. So at the time, that would have been 1993, I guess. And it's a, a story kind of about what the, the the premise of it is 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 like did any of these characters ever almost hook up with one of the other ones? And it's a simple story. It, already in the show's three year run, there's enough idea of what were these people before we met them to make jokes out of. You know, there's enough kind of like juxtaposition of the coffee shop used to be a bar, and uh, Phoebe used to live with Monica, and Chandler used to have a goatee. Like, there's all these little things you can do. Yeah that are funny because we know these characters, but this episode, more than the pilot, this episode plays like the perfect like origin story for the show, I think. Yeah. I mean, it shows how Joey moves in. I mean, I guess you want the show to feel established and that's why they did, went the way they did. But this show deals with every character. You get a trait, I guess Rachel's not much of a character in it, but you get traits of each of them that establish not just who they are, but I think this episode lays the groundwork for the rest of the series as well. This is an amazing episode and it was fun to watch coming off of the ones that preceded it. Yeah, and it's interesting that it's... I, I would never think of this as anybody's favorite or one of their favorite episodes of Friends. So that's... that's. Uh, oh, why not? Well, because from, from my perspective, when I saw that this was going to be one of, the, one of the ones we watched and it was the flashback, I couldn't quite remember it. Um, I know that they went through a string of flashbacky type episodes, whether it was a flashback like this or watching home videos or something like that. They went back to that a couple times. And maybe it's because I kind of got a little tired of it. Um, there was a, a flashback to a Thanksgiving that I thought was not a great episode. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, where where, where it's, it's a Chandler loses a toe or something. Um, yeah, I mean, it's played for laughs. It's also, it's them playing themselves at too young of an age. So the joke is yeah, kind of like so, costumes. But yeah, this so, was within the realm of, they looked believably the age that they were supposed to exa- be. But, but that's the thing. Like when I first saw that it was the flashback episode, a flashback episode, I kind of groaned. I was like, ah, I'm going to have to watch a flashback episode. Oh. But you're absolutely right. It is fantastic. I don't, watching it again here, I didn't remember it the way that I that it was presented. I remembered it as being a hokey, you know, you know, kind of more sitcommy than it turned out to be. Um, it is a great setup. It has some great genuine moments. Um, it does set things up like you're saying. The pairing of of Chandler and Monica at the end in their real moment of why doesn't anyone want to be with me? Why am I not with anyone? Uh, you know, that's some great foreshadowing. I don't know if they meant it to be, but it turned out to be. And I really liked talking about um, Phoebe and Ross. Um, yeah, you get a beautiful, one of the only times they, twice in the series, they get paired off in a sentimental way. Yeah, and it was so believable too. You know what I mean? It's like, it didn't it didn't force itself. It's like, yeah, it was about who hooks up with who. And near the end, they sort of, oh, is it going to, they lead you down a path that might be these two. Oh, it might be these two. Um, and so when it got to Ross and, and Phoebe, it was totally a real moment that he was vulnerable and, and she felt sorry for him. And it just sort of happened. And as it was happening, little things were happening that, that, that delayed things as they were starting to hook up. And then they just realized in the moment that this is silly. And it just comes, it's so real and and still has a funny sitcom aspect of it with the pool table. I love when when he goes to push all the. the I have to say, th- this episode has my 
two favorite bits probably ever on this show. They both involve pool ball, pool yeah, balls yes. as well. When he goes to push um, all the billiard balls out of the way so he can lay her down on the table <laughs> and they all bounce right back. <laughs> Love that bit. That and him hitting his head in the lamp are funny. But also earlier in the episode, uh, there's Chandler is watching Rachel and yeah. Pierce are talking about how she just wants to get laid, basically. And he's sharpening his pool stick with a little chalk thing. More masturbation jokes for Chandler. You know, he purposefully throws one of the pool balls towards her, so he has to go pick it up, and he has the whole, I drop my ball line. Like, those moments yeah. are hilarious. <laughs> yeah. But um, I wonder if it's because this is a flashback episode, and we know the outcome. We know there's no consequences. I wonder if that's why this episode feels as sincere. Like, the Ross, like Ross and Phoebe kissing in present day would be weird, Right. Because Ross and Rachel, and that's who we're identifying with and all this stuff. But in the past, it's something that happened. We know the outcome of three seasons. I wonder if that's why playing around with this past history, if that's why it works so well. I think Friends did a good job. And I know we were talking about the other flashback episodes. It does, it, I think it... I, I enjoyed any time they did a flashback, even when they got kind of ridiculous and it became Monica's fad and Rachel has this weird nose and they're in the 80s, whatever. I did always enjoy that. I feel like the show, again, this is only the third season and this is having watched it without, you know, it being in syndication. So you're not seeing it every day. These characters are real enough that you can almost posit them in different times and the performances still work. As they got older, it was harder to do because it was just, yeah, like we were saying, jokes of costumes. But no, this is a really nice ep episode to kind of wrap out the the uh, the binging with. It also, and we didn't talk about this and I wanted to briefly in one of the other episodes, a, a major plot line on the show that's introduced in the very first episode is that Ross used to be married. His wife, Carol, uh, revealed to him that actually I, I'm in love with this woman named Susan. So I'm a lesbian. And so they, they divorce. And that's the very first episode that had already happened. And there's some jokes at it, at it, at the expense of it, where it's kind of like, how could you not know Ross or, and all this stuff. Um, in this episode, we actually get to see the night that Ross makes this realization. Like he, that's why he and Phoebe wind up I think making out is because Ross comes in all broken up about it and we get to see his vantage point. This is one of the times I do like Ross. Ross, I think is a good character when he's broken, not when he's crazy and not when he's, you know, being like a jerk. Like he is a jerk half the time with how he treats yeah. people. But when he's a broken man who just can't understand what happened, it always comes back to him. What did I do wrong? Am I a bad person? And seeing that happen like there's some funny jokes throughout the episode that since you know what happens are leading up to it about how Carol's going to leave him. But instead of playing the idea that, oh, your wife's a lesbian for laughs, it's genuinely sincere. And it works because we know what's happened after. And I love that moment in the episode because, again, it's not a, it's not about making Carol a villain. It's not about the weird chasing Amy fantasy of, well, because she's gay, she doesn't like you. It's honestly, she found someone she liked more. And regardless of that gender she likes that person more. And so Ross's problem is what's wrong with me. And he can use the typical male response of, you know, is it, you know, she's a lesbian or not, but it, I don't know. It was just, it was a very real moment. And it reminded me, and they're not in this episode, they're in another one. I really like Ross's ex-wife, Carol. And I really like Susan. I like those characters and they weren't on the show yeah, that great. much. I always wanted them to get their own show. I always thought that would be fun. And oh, a plot line really fun. 
I think so. The plot yeah. line we um, we didn't talk about one of the earlier episodes. Ross and Carol have a son together named Ben, and Ben is enjoying playing with a doll. And there's this whole plot line where Ross is put off by that. I think Carol and and Susan bring uh, Ben to see Ross because you know they share custody, at least for this season. And he's playing with a like a Barbie doll, and Ross has a you know, what seemed as the joke started, I'm like, that's a closed minded reaction. The typical boys play with army men, not dolls joke, but it was actually a very endearing plot line in that Ross, again, he felt left out. And also it's an interesting character trope or trait that Ross isn't the most open-minded man in the world. We still like him and he's struggling with it and they find a way to resolve it with comedy and all this stuff. But I really like that. And, I, and that's, again, when I like Ross the most is when he's doubting himself. That's a good character arc for him. But when he's confident, when he's with Rachel, or I don't know, when, he, when he's just treating people like dirt, which is what he does, he's a jerk. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that was a lot of friends. And I mean, it's a pretty inspirational show. I mean, I think both in our lives and on TV, I think Friends was probably the last huge sitcom. I guess The Big Bang Theory is a pretty big show now, but Friends was, um, it was, and I think people remember this, but it was huge. Like it is the biggest show I've ever encountered. And it is a little quaint now. Like it's to watch it now, the show's been off the air for 13 years the actors now, they didn't for a while, but they all look old now, as they are. They're yeah. probably all approaching 50, but like they aren't these kids, which they are. And we're not the kids who watched it. You know, we are 10 years older than those characters ever got, probably, right. at this point. Right. So it is, it's such a weird time capsule. And it's an interesting show because similar to probably other shows of the time, I'm thinking of The X-Files, Friends aged really well up to 1999. The last two seasons of Friends, so maybe it was at 2003 and four. that show didn't carry well over into this century, I don't think. It was still enjoyable, and I still watched it, but I feel it's heyday, and it's what it's a representation of, for me, is very much these, this, these six years in the 90s, I feel like. It's a good representation, and because I think my age was close to Rachel's age and Chandler's age, so there was that. Tim, you know what I think you just did? Um, yeah, you know what I think you just did with that statement? I yeah. think you just set up our, our anniversary retro shock show. In a year <laughs> from now, we will, we will go back, we will talk about our disappointment with the last couple seasons of Friends, then we'll watch some episodes and see if, if we remembered that correctly. We do that, we'll be bending the rules of space-time in the show a little, but yeah. We would. We would a little bit. A little bit. All right. Something to think about. Just just an idea. Just popped into my head. Because I don't remember it as, as negatively. I, I enjoyed it, um, to my recollection. But I haven't, I haven't gone back to it as often. Well, I feel like what... And again, this is looking at a huge body work. Also, <clears throat> not every episode, but most weak episodes of friends are still good episodes there are some duds and you know we didn't even get into that there are some dud episodes out there but it's always been a well-written well-performed show and i don't know i i don't know if it looks dated i think my relationship with it is dated like i watch it like watching these episodes all i could think of was my life then 
you know, was living my life when they aired. Like I have vivid memories of when each of these episodes aired because I was watching it at this point. Um, and I know I was, I was actually taping them every Thursday too, but just that part of my life was so entwined. Like that's a show that again, we mimicked or represented at us, whichever way it went. And I think it's forever that to me. So it makes sense why I haven't gone back to watch it in a while. And so I'm glad that I did, but it, and it definitely feels, it's still entertaining, but it, de- it there is a, a, a feeling of looking back in watching the show more show more so than some of the other things we've talked about, you know, like, because like music I've carried with me and movies I've gone back to, or maybe not even seen till this century, but friends having, you know, I used to watch it every week and then I watch it almost every day in reruns. And then, you know, to have this period of time where I didn't watch it at all. That's, that's weird. You know, that's, that's weird yeah. that it's just something that dropped off my radar so, yeah, but too. I'm happy to have gone back to it. I'm happy to have returned to watch it. And, and I, I could watch more. I think I will watch I'm, more. Yeah. I'm probably going to watch some more uh, tonight. I probably I, won't do that. I've got a uh, two seasons of the single guy to work through before making my way to man of the people and probably rounding out the night with a couple episodes of inside Schwartz. And, uh, I thought I had one more. Oh, Veronica's closet. Wow, we sounded so young and poorly produced. Not at all like the um, compressor settings we we use now. So thank you for listening. Uh, Bob will be back next week. I will be back next week uh, with a new episode about a particular night of television uh, from the 1990s. TGIF, if you're familiar, you know, Urkel and Uncle Jesse and Joey. Uh, so you can check that out at the Not A Hologram website um, at nahpods.com. Um, there you can always listen to the most recent episode, as well as find links to past episodes. Uh, you can also subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and more. So, um, you know, go check that out, nahpods.com. That's short. That's brief. Uh, thanks for listening, everyone. It's good to have someone to uh, talk to. So... See you in a week. Well, speak. I'll be posting a recording uh, in a week that you can hear. So you could say to me, hear you in a week. Um, I'm just saying this to all of you, or into the microphone for some of you, to feel like I'm speaking directly uh, to you. Yeah. Such boring lives, but never fear Because we're moving in for a month, maybe a year Oh, we won't ever leave No, you can't throw us out We won't ever leave You can scream, you can shout We won't ever leave Our new acquaintances Hey everyone ever, this is Tim Blevins, and you're probably expecting me to name drop some obscure comic book artist or reference that forgotten TV series no one else is watching. 
But what if I got a little more intimate? Maybe discuss the existential horror of a Muppet breaking the fourth wall? Or that specific fetish derived from watching Donatello do machines? These are the topics of Menage a Pop, a new podcast wherein I and a guest have a consensual discussion on the pop culture that most impacted their personal development. It's part of the Not A Holograms podcast network and begins airing three times a week on May 4th. You'll find it on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, as well as the homepage of nahpods.com. Tune in, subscribe, and start to analyze the psychological ramifications of your partner's casingle, your co-worker's card game, and your house cat's cosplay. It's Menage a Pop, premiering this May 4th. Not a hologram, it's a podcast. <laughs>